Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to The Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Heather Valencia. Heather was a lecturer in German language and literature at the University of Stirling, Scotland. She has taught Yiddish summer programs and teaches a Yiddish class in Edinburgh. In addition, she has been the translator of numerous Yiddish writers. Welcome, Heather. Thank you very much. So today you're here occasioned by the publication of Seeds in the Desert by Mendel Mann, translated by Heather Valencia. And we're delighted to be launching this book into the world and um, so happy that you could join me from Scotland for a conversation about the work. Well, it's a great pleasure for me. So I'm going to, if I may, quickly read a little bit from your introduction, um, which is just a really... It gave me great insight into the writer uh, that informed my, my understanding of some of the stories as I read along. So you write, Mendelman's work draws on the experiences of his adventurous life, but it cannot be pigeonholed as purely autobiographical. In all settings, the Poland of his childhood, the war-torn cities of Moscow and Berlin, the desolate desert places of Israel, he depicts a wide diversity of human individuals, animals, and landscapes. He evokes the essential strangeness and mystery of the relationships between human beings and between human beings and the natural world. So what does that tell us about Mon? I mean, it tells us a lot, but could you elaborate? Well, yes, that's it. (laughs) There's a great deal in that. Um, He had a very uh, adventurous life, and I think that um, a lot of what he wrote, most of what he wrote, was uh, drew very, very quite closely on that. But he he really transforms uh, his own experience um, into something which is much more, I think, much more universal in terms of uh, the the life and fate of the Jews in the 20th century. And I think that um, the, the collection of stories from which, um, from which the, the, the stories in this um, book are uh, taken um, is, is very representative of, of that. It's very representative of the diversity of his own life and um, of the of the characters whom he creates in in these stories. It, it felt to me as though he was a bridge between two worlds. Uh, I think Jewish life in Eastern Europe before the Holocaust and the life after it. And it, it seems like this work is, if I may, an outlet for kind of grappling with all of these complexities. He's trying to make sense of it in a very real way, and in some ways, is it safe to say, somewhat metaphorical? Yes, yes, I think that's true. I would almost say that um, that there are sort of three worlds, uh, or certainly three stages in in this particular collection of stories. And I would say that he, he wrote many, many volumes of stories. Um, this one, uh, he chose these stories and put them in this particular order, I think, for a very um, specific reason, so that the three stages uh, working backwards are are life in Israel post-Holocaust, then the experiences of a Jewish officer in the Red Army during the war and immediately after, 
and and then delving back into um, his childhood in Poland, but in a sense, so that the, the book moves sort of backwards, and um, it's it's almost an attempt to delve into the uh, ex- his experiences and the experiences of the Jewish people um, during that period. Um, and I think the, these periods in his work are all interconnected um, in that within um, within the experience of, of those uh, actors in the wartime years, there is their background, their childhood in a more settled, more settled society. Um, and within the Israeli um, stories, um, certainly the experiences of the Holocaust and the the demons and the trauma of that are, you know, a very, very real presence. Uh, and you said also, yes, you said partly realistic, but also partly um, metaphorical, as you said, mystical, strange. I mean, I must admit that my first impression when I came to Mendelman was, what a strange writer, what strange stories. And they have a certain atmosphere of, um, of a dreamlike quality, some of them. I don't know if you would sort of agree with that. I, I would, and, and it's, it's interesting. Before we hit the record button and we were just saying hello to one another, you mentioned the fact that you came to these stories and reread them and reread them. And I would say I also had the same experience, um, you know, sort of working on bringing this this work into publication. Um, one had to keep rereading the stories um, yes. in, in, in uh, different versions. And I realized that I came to them in different ways with each reading. Um, and I felt more familiar with his writing and, and the way that he uses both these just sort of very descriptive passages that place the reader almost in the landscape of place, as well as the emotional landscape of the main character. And I feel yes. like, yeah, each time you read them, you be that much more able uh, to parse them out. Is that safe to say? Yes, I, I think that's absolutely right. And in fact, um, in the last couple of days, as I've, you know, since I received the, 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 the book, um, I, I've reread them, um, sort of, you know, preparing for, for talking to you. And really, I must say that re- rereading them now, this time, I feel I've, I've, got, I've got things out of them that I hadn't really perceived before. It, they, they, they have many, many layers, I think. Um, I was particularly struck this time by the, um, well, I was before, but really particularly now, by the the way in which the, the presence of the ancient landscape of Eretz Yisrael, uh, the, the land of Israel, is sort of pervades these first, this first group of stories which are, have that Israeli setting. And that within that, land, that landscape almost, um, and nature, the nature in Israel, almost uh, is, a, is a, a live character or at least plays a, a role in, in, in the stories. 
And within that, within this landscape, the characters are living out their own traumas. For example, the, the story called The Lizard, where the, the character is, is driven by a sort of obsession uh, to, to cut down the cactus hedge and is absolutely obsessed by this, this lizard which appears on the wall. And it, um, it has really enormous destructive power over him. Um, and in fact, when you, yeah, when you think of the, um, the title of the collection, which is the same title as the, 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 the full collection of Mendelman in Yiddish, Kerner in Midbar, Seeds in the Desert, that gives a kind of very positive image of the desert being sown and flowering again and the metaphor, you know, of life being renewed in the desert. But when you actually read the title story, it's much more subtle and much more uh, problematic than that, and much less clear-cut as a as a positive vision of renewal. And I think throughout there is this, um, you know, tremendous nuanced uh, feeling about the stories. It's so true, and it's 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 funny when you were just speaking about it. I remember feeling as though. Um, the landscape was watching. That that there was, <laughs> there was almost a character in uh, that sat at the you know sort of periphery of all of this, and it it feels as though he carries with him some responsibility or some some need to work through both place, events, history, and that whole thread in all of these different situations and characters. They're not easy stories, but they're really compelling stories. Very, very compelling. I mean, I, I think, um, I, do, I do feel that, yes, I think he's, he's working through his own demons and, and his own uh, issues and, and so on through these, through these encounters. And, you know, I mean, I think that's uh, the interesting strategy he, he uses in the stories, too, of the, the encounter um, the this the, the sort of the, the first person narrator is is uh, has an encounter with someone who is compelled to tell his or her story. Um, as I think Ruth Weiss says at the um, on the on the back of the book, you know the urgent need to tell their stories. You must hear me out. And, I mean, I think this urgent need to tell the stories that these characters tell, um, they're also the, the stories and the, the, um, the questions that, that Mendelman himself is asking. Uh, you know, I think one of those that's particularly strong, that I, they seemed to strike me particularly this time when I read them, was this theme of revenge, which is... Um, is a very, you know, seems to be a very strong theme, really. What is, is it possible to take revenge for, for wrongs inflicted? And does the taking of revenge actually damage the person who has, has, has taken revenge um, almost more than the, more than the victim of, of, of their revenge? Um, in one story, I think he says, 
do you think it's possible to take revenge? The blood of the victim and the killer is mingled together. And there, there are all sorts of issues raised by these stories, which I think are Mendelman's working, working through these, these, these terribly troubling, uh, these terribly troubling questions, which, which resonate really, particularly, I suppose, with Jews who have been through the trauma of the Holocaust or, or who, who are, or live with it, but I think also with everybody. Yeah, it it seems like it's multi-layered. That that he he obviously had a well a gift for writing and a need to write, and try to work through some of these issues, and at the same time, I think he's challenging the reader to really grapple again to use that word or to to, to sort of think through some of these situations, which as you say are not easy situations or yeah. um, encounters. So I'm always fascinated, Heather, by the work of a translator. Um, and certainly this is, uh, you're working on a translation and aren't able to be working with the author. Um, and how do you come to the work? How do you find the writer's voice and your voice um, in terms of bringing this into, you know, the world of a new reader? Gosh, that's, yes, that's a very um, difficult question. Um, I try both in, well, of course, translating poetry is a different issue altogether, really, but um, I think some of the same things apply uh, to, to poetry or prose. To me, it seems like um, a question of trying to, as much as possible, to let the, the voice and the style of writing of the original shine through um, not to not to for instance well where where it is a writer who is writing in a I think Yiddish writers write in quite a different style to modern writing in English although that's a terrible a terrible generalization but I mean there is perhaps a sort of rhetorical um, a rhetorical tone which might be considered old-fashioned in some English, modern English writing. Um, and it's a question sometimes of, does one want to make this much more slick, much more flowing, much more accessible to a modern reader? Or does one try want to try and give the modern reader in the target language in her, his or her own language, nevertheless, the sort of flavor, if possible, of the Yiddish original. And that, that's the kind of, of, of approach that I like to, to try and take. Um, but it's, it's not easy, and I don't think that man was easy, because a lot of the, his writing the, 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 um, is, is quite, quite difficult actually and quite um, complex and impressionistic I think one might mm -hmm. say a lot of it is impressionistic and you're not to, and it sort of shifts somehow you're not totally sure exactly what he's saying in some of his utterances so the, the, it's, it's not easy um, to, to 
convey this. Well, you did a beautiful job of it because it doesn't feel as though you've placed yourself in this telling um, or translation um, in any way other than to make it read very fluidly um, and naturally. Which yes, I, I feel the, the atmosphere of, as I said, I think earlier, the, the sort of atmosphere of weirdness, of strangeness, mm. um, the sort of almost sub... A lot of the stories have this kind of subconscious um, or rather stream of consciousness. Um, the, the beginning of that story, uh, the seeds in the desert, for instance, when this unnamed individual, we know nothing about him, and he's he's wandering in a sort of haze almost through this Bedouin market. And um, this whole introductory passage is almost sort of dreamlike. And, and Mendelman's prose does have very much this dreamlike quality, which, you know, I've tried to tried to get um, because I think that really is an integral part of what he's trying to achieve because I think he finds that life is totally strange and all these characters find their lives in some ways quite incomprehensible. Yeah, that disorientation comes through. Dis exactly, yes. yes. What, what drew you to Mont's work? Well, I sort of fell into it by accident, really, totally by accident, um, in that uh, a mutual friend of mine and Tzimans, the son uh, of Mendelman, um, uh, someone who's a poet in, in her own right, Leah Watson or Leah Zazuyer, um, she kind of made a shidduch because she, uh, she knew that Tzimans was very, very keen to have um, an English edition of, of some of his father's stories, um, a modern English edition. And uh, she knew I was really interested in translating. And I really had, I knew nothing much about Mendelman at all. Um, and when I started translating them, I was, or looking, reading the stories, I, I yes, as I say, my first, um, my first impression was, hmm, these are slightly strange stories, I'm not sure, etc. And then I gradually got more and more um, fascinated by them. I mean, I think what's very fascinating about him is that uh, he's, he's really one of the few modern Yiddish writers of the 20th century to, to, to write, um, you know, after the Holocaust, and who's, the bulk of whose work is after the Holocaust. And I think he's also unusual in writing so uh, vividly about the young uh, Israeli state. Um, and I, f I find that very interesting. Um, I also find it very fascinating in his work. Uh, yeah, this kind of shifting ambiguity which we were talking about. And also in terms of his um, of his picture of, of Israel in the early days. He doesn't in any sense draw any kind of um, rosy-colored picture, uh, but rather he shows the darker sides of the development of the state. And he has a, you know, he has a, he shows great empathy with, um, with some, some of the figures in his stories who are, who are Arabs. Um, and he 
gives yes he shows the um yeah he shows the the ambiguities and the uh the difficulties of life in that early um time in Israel I also find did get more and more attached to his work um I think that that is just it's so true um he feels as though if I may if he was at a dinner party, you might sort of dismiss him quickly um, as not being the person at the table that you were most interested in engaging with in conversation, and yet you would be missing something so important. See, I think that's a, a, a really, a really excellent characterization. Um, he, he's, there's something at the very, at the beginning, and also when one reads uh, of his life, there's something almost stern and forbidding about the impression one gets. I'm not thinking so much now of the stories, but even my when I started reading about and and hearing about Mendelman, uh, I sort of thought this person would be a slightly forbidding person. I mean, this extraordinary well, for example, this extraordinary episode where just after the uh, end of the war when he was uh, when he left the army and he wandered with his wife and four-year-old son um, and then ended up in in Regensburg in Germany and was quartered with his family in um, in a huge empty castle Schloss Sulzbach uh, for two I think two years they spent there um, and his son has written that um, he, the child, you know, roamed around these huge numbers of rooms, and the father, uh, his father was an fairly, uh, one gets the impression of almost an unapproachable figure, or at least someone who he, he, he wrote and wrote the whole time, and was, you know, fairly inaccessible. Um, uh, you know, I, I sort of felt strange figure um, but a fascin- and then he left Israel to to go and live in Paris for the last part of his life um, one really wants to know more about how he felt what he was like as a person it, it, it does leave one you know going back to the dinner party analogy it would be fascinating to be able to have a conversation about all of this with him. Um, Absolutely. Before I let you go, quick question. Is there one story for you which is, uh, I don't want to use a favorite, but the one that drew you in the most or in some way pulled this whole project together? Well, I, there, I have several favorites, but I think... The very final story is is such an important story, um, the story of the last scribe, because I suppose it really sums up this book. I mean, he, he deliberately sets it as the last story in in his collection, um, and it it tells of the 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 the, the first person narrator. Um, being having to being shown by his grandfather this uh, this prayer book um, with a family tree, an ancient family tree, 
about 400 years old. And this has been handed down through the family. And the grandfather makes the child at his bar mitzvah, rather, I should say, the uh, the boy, uh, promise that he will become a scribe. And he teaches him um, how to to write with the goose feather quill. Um, And then, of course, the... The writer says, I I did become a scribe, but um, not a scribe as my grandfather wanted, but a scribe of the ordinary people and the lives of the ordinary people. Um, And then uh, the the prayer book disappears. Um, It it disappears in the destruction of Warsaw, uh, and the the writer is left um, saying the the prayer book has has disappeared, and um, yesterday is destroyed like a burned forest. In my memory, the tree in the old prayer book lives on, um, and the the this image of this prayer book and of the end of a particular era um, is is very 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 poignant and extremely. Uh, Strong as a as a final as a final image, I think in the in the in the book. Yeah, it 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 hit hard, and and it felt somewhat autobiographical. Or it gave the reader permission to move forward in the world. Exactly, exactly. Yes, that's that's really what that story um, does for me as well. Um, it's uh, you know it it it, it validates. The other kind of scribe, it validates, he, he validates his own um, definition of being a scribe. Um, he, he, uh, he says, uh, you know, it was a turbulent time and I was drawn to the world of ordinary Jews. Uh, and and his, his noting, his, his being a scribe for that world, which, which this book is, is actually... Um, evidence of which this book does um, has as much validity I think I think he's saying has as much validity and is just as important as the other kind of scribe and as the traditional uh, history of the Jews yeah well um, Heather thank you so much for taking time to join us today here on the schmooze and um, and for the really, really wonderful work that you did in translation. Again, uh, it's Seeds in the Desert by Mendel Mann, translated by Heather Valencia. Um, I urge you to consider getting a copy. Uh, it's available on the Yiddish Book Center's store, yiddishbookcenter.org. Hit the shop button, and you will find your way to it. Um, and we hope that you'll continue your work in translation. Thank you so much. Okay, bye-bye. Be well. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Schmooze, a podcast of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. I'm Margaret Frothingham, Education Program Assistant at the Yiddish Book Center. For more information about this podcast and to subscribe, visit our website at yiddishbookcenter.org. While you're there, I recommend listening to Episode 184, Miriam Udell on Yiddish Children's Literature, Translation, and Literary Encounters, where Lisa Newman interviews Professor Udell on her fascinating studies of children's literature in the Yiddish literary tradition. Seid gesund, be well, and tune in again soon.